morning, everybody. Welcome. I know we've got some visitors in the house this morning. Thanks for choosing to be a part of Bendigo Church of Christ this morning. We do value your presence with us today. On what is really a, a celebration Sunday for us in the life of the church, uh, after the service this morning, we uh, invite you to stick around for some, uh, for some morning tea. Uh, for some of us, it'll be more like lunch. Uh, because after our luncheon we're going to uh, come back in and we're going to uh, uh, spend a time together uh, around about an hour or so uh, just reflecting on the past year where we presently are as a church and looking forward into the future and we're going to be uh, recognising some people and their contribution to ministry within the life of the church uh, this afternoon as well as hearing from what is going on and has gone on in 2022 can't believe we're in 2023. I keep mucking that up. I was signing some documents the other day. Important documents. Was it, don't worry, it wasn't my uh, daughter's uh, wedding documents. I didn't mess them up. Uh, but I keep getting the date wrong. Time is moving forward. You know, when I was young, older people used to tell me, when you get older, time goes so much faster. Mary, your head's about to fall off, shaking like that. And now that I'm getting slightly older, Sarah, I find that to be true. So I better not waste any more of your time, because time is precious. Let's pray for the word this morning. Father, we thank you for our time together in this space today. Holy Spirit, we thank you that your presence is here with us. And we thank you for the power that you release from the throne of heaven in order to encourage us to come and worship you in this space today. God, I pray that you would fill us, God, with the desire to allow your word to not just be heard in our heads, but to impact our hearts this morning. God, that we would, as we continue on in this journey through your word, be encouraged as we wait on the Lord Jesus Christ coming again. We pray it in his name. And everyone says... Amen. Well, if you're uh, visiting with us, we've been in a very long series from the book of Acts. And when we got to Acts chapter 17, we hit our theme verse from verse 6, where it says, These people who have been turning the world upside down have come here also. The apostle Paul went to a place called Thessalonica. And there he planted a first-generation church, but the people there were so upset with Christians coming into the community that they drove them out. And the people who remained were being persecuted strongly for their faith. And so the Apostle Paul, moving to Corinth, writes two letters back to the church. We know them as 1 and 2 Thessalonians. And in that... We've covered a whole lot of ground, haven't we? We've talked about the rapture of the church. We've talked about the day where people will be left behind on that great day of destruction. We've talked about the Antichrist. Uh, we've talked about the battle of Armageddon and the, the coming of our King and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who's going to wrap all of this mess up and reign for a thousand years. And so today, now, Paul speaks to us from our series, Living Upright in an Upside-Down World, as we wait on the Lord's return. 
we need to know how we are to wait, how we are to live. And so today's message is entitled, How to Stand Firm in Your Faith. And that picks up beautifully in our text a little bit of what Sandra was talking about in terms of standing firm. We're looking at Thessalonians 2, 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 13 through to 17. If you want to go there in your Bibles, let me uh, show you this uh, picture here. Uh, This is a uh, picture from uh, Caesarea Philippi. You can see that great big uh, rock formation, that great big structure going hundreds of feet into the air. And at the base there, there is a cave entrance. And inside the cave, there is this huge pool of water. So deep was the water, they believed that it didn't end and it was actually the gateway to that place called Hades. Pagan people would gather there to worship false gods and they would actually sacrifice their children in the water. And it was at that particular location in Matthew 16 verse 18 where Jesus was speaking to the apostle Peter. Remember when he said, you are Peter, Petros. It means just a little pebble. But on this rock, speaking of Jesus himself, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Isn't it great to have some context when Jesus says those words, that's where he's standing and that was the gates of Hades that people believed would actually open up that way to hell. So we've got to remember that Jesus Christ is our solid rock. Today we stand firm on the rock that is Jesus Christ. And we build our faith on him and his word as we continue to wait on the coming of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. So no matter what demands life bring, and there's quite a few, isn't there? There are problems, there are pressures, there are persecutions. I want to encourage you with that great hymn from Edward Moat in 1834. My hope, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, on Christ alone, the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. And today, we just want to come to be encouraged in our faith. Because it's a long journey of faith out the other end, isn't it? We've got to be encouraged and be encouraging one another to stand firm on that firm foundation that is Jesus Christ as we wait on his coming. And there are three things I want to speak to you about this morning. The first one is we need to preach the truth, we need to protect the truth, and we need to practice the truth. And so the first one, if we're going to stand firm in our faith, we need to preach the truth. We need to preach the truth. There's a lot of other truths out there today, isn't there? We live in a world today where, well, you know, what's true for you is true for you and what's true for me is true for me. And there is no ultimate truth anymore, is there? In fact, we know that uh, they're already rewriting the history books to suit a particular narrative. So we've got to make sure as we wait on Christ coming again that we preach the truth. So beginning in verse 13... Paul begins with this word, but. It's a transitional word. Do you remember last week we talked about the day of destruction? 
That's a, that's a day when the coming of God's wrath, you don't want to be here. You want to be raptured out of here. The day of destruction for those who are left behind, for those who have not put their faith in Jesus Christ. That's a, the bad news. And now that but sort of transitions us to the good news. But we ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, loved by the Lord. Because from the beginning, God chose you to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. He called you to this through our gospel, through our good news, that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, I don't know about you, but as the year rolls on, it's really easy for our lives to start to feel like they're beginning to crumble. Things happen in life that come against us, don't they? And that's why, you know, we've got to continue to remind ourselves, where am I standing? Where, where, am, I, where am I standing? Where are my feet today? What ground am I standing on? Is it crumbling away or is it on the solid rock? Am I standing in the love of the Lord for me? I don't know about you, but that's the greatest encouragement. I, I am standing in the love of the Lord. God's love is unconditional. I love that fact that it's unconditional. You know, uh, do a little Google search. 2.2 billion hits on love you'll get on the internet. But love for people today in the world, it's always conditional, isn't it? You know, I will love you if, if you help me, if you give to me, so on and so forth. But God's love is unconditional. It's not dependent on what I do. You know, my wife tells me, Andrew, you're not particularly lovable. There's nothing special about me, is there? I'm not a special sort of person, but I am special to God. God doesn't love us because of who we are. He loves us because of who he is. In his very nature, he is love, isn't he? He oozes that love out of him, and his love for us is unconditional. You know, I was uh, uh, talking with someone uh, a couple of weeks back, and uh, uh, it just uh, made me want to put this in this morning. You know, when you compare the Quran to the Bible, we are not worshipping the same God, are we? Why do I bring that up? Because so often in the world today, people think that we are. No! It's completely different, isn't it? Well, you know, God is God, and you're all worshipping the same God, and it's all the same thing. No, 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 absolutely not. In the Quran, love and approval from Allah only comes as performance-based. It's about what you do in order to receive his love. You've got to uphold the five pillars, don't you? You've got to have faith. You've got to give, pray, fast. And you've got to make a pilgrimage to Mecca. So it's all based on human performance. And then maybe Allah will choose for you to enter his paradise when you die, but there's no guarantee. Muslims have a lot of laws. But you know, uh, gambling's not one of them. There's only a 50-50 chance for a Muslim that they might enter paradise. And even though they could live the very best of lives, it's all up to the will of Allah. He might be having a bad day and just reject you. Their paradise mustn't be very big either, mustn't it? Because there's not going to be a lot of people there. It's going to be quite empty. 
Folks, why would anybody want to live with that sort of uncertainty? See, Allah is to be feared. That's what Islam is. It actually means submission to the will of Allah. But we live by faith. In fear, they hate the infidels. You know, that's us, don't you? Yeah? In the Surat, the Surat uh, chapter 5 verse, Surat just means chapter. Chapter 5 verse 51, there's 151 chapters in the Quran. This is what they say. O believers, take not Jews and Christians as friends, they are friends of each other. Whoso of you makes them his friends is one of them. God guides not the people of the evildoers. But friends... I want to say to you, the God of the Bible is a God of unconditional love. Why? Because he created each one of you in his image. He loves you and he has chosen you to be in a place that we call heaven for all eternity and forever. You know, one of the things I love about God is that, again, it's not based on my performance. What that means is that you cannot make God love you any less because it's his nature, it's his being, it's who he is. And no matter what you do, you can't make him love you any more. God loves you today just the way you are. Of course, he loves me too much to leave me in this sinful state, but he loves me. And so often we just need to be telling people that truth. We need to preach that with the way that we live our lives. But notice from verse 13. From the beginning, God chose you to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. So I want to say this to you. If you're here today and you're not saved, you can be saved. All you need to do is come to Christ and confess Him as your Lord and Saviour. You see, there are three factors involved in your salvation. Firstly is the Word of God. Secondly is the work of the Spirit. And thirdly is the will of the person. Say, for an example, when God chose Mary to be the mother of Jesus, the saviour of the world. It's a wonderful parable of salvation. God sent the word to Mary in the form of the angel Gabriel. You're going to be with child. He's going to be the saviour of the world. Mary says, uh, how's that going to be? It's inconceivable for her, wasn't it? Because uh, it was inconceivable within her because she'd never been with a man. But bringing the word, he then gave us the work of the Holy Spirit. It would be a supernatural work, wouldn't it? Born of a virgin, conceived of the Holy Spirit. So that's the word of God and that's the work of the Spirit. But Mary, she had to enact her own free will. God's a heavenly gentleman. He won't force you to do anything that you don't want to do. God chose Mary. She now needed to choose him. God has chosen you for salvation. You now need to choose him. And so Mary said those great words. May it be done to me according to your word. That was her profession of faith. Her will to choose what God was offering. And I want to say that to you this morning. I don't know all of you in the room this morning. But I do know that God is offering you salvation as a free gift through his son Jesus Christ. That's the word of God. 
in the power of the Spirit to receive that. You just need to say in your own will, may it be done to me according to God's will. We get that free will to choose, don't we? That's a wonderful gift, free will. We're not programmed robots. So we're encouraged to stand in that truth. We're saved, we're sanctified to share in God's glory. You know, that word saved, it's where we get the word justified, isn't it? You know, you're a sinner, you're at war with God. When you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour, the war is over. And you are justified, just as if I'd never sinned. And that happens to you immediately at salvation. But then there's sanctification of our soul. That happens, your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions, yeah, your personality, if you like. And that happens progressively, doesn't it? We're a work in progress. Have you ever heard these initials? P-B-P-G-H-F-W-M-Y. You don't know what that means. Please be patient. God hasn't finished with me yet. Sanctified. You're a work in progress. Yes? You're not who you were, but you're not all that God wants you to be just yet. I was reminded of sanctification this week. On Friday, Sharon sent me some tasks to do outside that were very physical, very strenuous. As the sun beat down on me, my mind started to wander and I started to have thoughts that weren't the greatest. And I was reminded of uh, the guy across the road got out his lawnmower. And it reminded me of the story about the pastor who on a Saturday uh, morning uh, got out his lawnmower and he's standing on the front lawn and he's pulling it and he's pulling it and he's pulling it and he goes out and he gets the spark plug out and he's cleaning the plug and he's pulling it and he's pulling it and he's pulling it and it's not working at all. He looks up and there's this uh, young fella standing there. The young fella says to him, you should uh, do what my dad does and, and swear at it. The pastor said, well, young man, listen, I've been a pastor for 25 years. I haven't sworn in 25 years. The young fella says, well, keep pulling. It'll come back to you. <laughs> now, that's a little bit like how I felt on Friday. We're a work in progress. God is transforming us day to day. But when you think about sanctification, it means that God has chosen you to be set apart for a very special purpose. Yeah, You're not just justified and I've given my, my life to Christ, but, but, but you've actually got this plan and purpose. Sanctification means that you are special. You're set apart. It's where we get that word holy from. You know, in 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24, it reads this. May God himself, the God of peace. So God is the guarantor here, yeah? Of the one who personally stands behind the promise to sanctify you through and through. More and more and more. As long as you're on the planet, until you depart or Jesus Christ comes again, he's going to sanctify you to be more, mold and shape you more into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. May your whole spirit, soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, 
He's the one that keeps you blameless. He's the one that protects you for that day when he will come again. Nothing is going to be overlooked. Now that promised truth is a world away from Islam. So understand this, you are a tri-unity. It's with your body that you relate to the world beneath you, the, the solid ground, yeah, the ground of gravity that keeps you down. And it's with your soul that you relate, your mind, your will, your emotions to the world around you. That's the social world. And it's with your spirit that you relate to the world above you, the spiritual world. So when your body's right, you're healthy. When your soul is right, you are, uh, 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 what's the word for it? Happy. And when your spirit is right, you are holy. And when you are happy, holy, and healthy, you've actually reached God's will for your life. That's the truth. God loves you. He's chosen you. He has a plan and a purpose for you. It's really just up to you to choose him. Next, to stand firm in our faith, we need to protect the truth. There's an importance here of protecting the truth that is eroding as we move further and further away from Jesus' life, death and resurrection. Verse 15. So then, stand firm and hold to the teaching we passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. You know, uh, sometimes people say, don't just stand there, do something. Have you, have you heard of that? You know, when it comes to the Christian faith, it's, uh, it's, it's uh, more like this. Don't just do something, stand there. We need to stand our ground in a world that is ever-changing. Because Christianity doesn't start with an action. It actually starts here with a conviction. Did you know that uh, American President uh, uh, Thomas Jefferson didn't believe the Bible? Rejected all of the miracles, the resurrection, uh, didn't uh, want to have anything at all to do with the supernatural things of Jesus. The virgin birth, all of those things, they were an inconvenient truth. So what he did was he took a razor to it and he began to cut out all of the different parts that he didn't agree with. And then he put it all back together again. And in 1820, he published a book entitled The Life and Morals of Jesus of Nazareth. It actually just ends with Jesus laying in the tomb. That's pretty sad, isn't it? But you know, even within the Christian church today, we have a lot of liberal views who want to subtract and add different things to God's word. So we've got to make sure we protect the truth. Just as Martin Luther, he was charged as a heretic in the Catholic Church. He said this, and this is what we need to say today as well. Here we stand. We do no other. God help us. That's the old saying, isn't it? If you uh, don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. And so that word there, stand firm, you know, it's one that Paul repeats over and over in his letters because each church needs to know throughout every generation the importance of standing firm. And it was beautifully done by Sandra this morning in Ephesians 6, the equipment that we're actually given in order to stand firm. Paul says there in chapter 6, verse 13, Therefore put on the full armour of God so that when, not not if, 
But when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, every generation needs to be able to stand their ground until Jesus Christ comes again. How do we do that? He's given us the equipment. Stand firm with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with the feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation, which is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. He gives us everything in order to be able to stand firm, in order to have victory. You know, uh, you all got dressed nicely this morning. Well, most of you, Sam. Everybody's looking over at Sam. But did you put on the full armour of God? You know, that's an armour. Can you just bring that up, Joe? It's an armour that displays to us a Roman soldier. It's an armour that when you become a Christian, you put on and you are never, ever, ever supposed to take it off. Paul already talked about two of those things, didn't he? You know, we've already talked in the series about the breastplate of righteousness. And the whole idea is it's to protect your vital organs. It's to cover your heart's. Because, see, the devil's trying to lead you away. How does he get to your heart? Through your eyes. You see, he wants you to not be looking down at the word, but he wants you to lift your eyes to the things of the world. And that will lead your heart away. We talked already about the uh, helmet of salvation. That helmet that we put on. We have the mind of Christ. Because you see, the devil wants to attack your mind so that you will actually then start to uh, live in the way that you think. You know, the uh, plume on top of the Roman soldier there. It's either made of horse hair or feathers. And the whole idea is it's to make the soldier seem much taller to the enemy. It seems like there's someone much larger coming to defeat them. And you know, if you've put on the helmet of salvation, I don't know about you, but when I was saved, I was walking on air. I thought I was conqueror. That's salvation. That, that position that you know that you have in Christ should actually cause you to keep moving forward in the victory that God has provided. You know, we look at these other ones here. The belt of truth. The shoes of peace. You know, they had these big hobnail uh, in, the, in the shoes and they would place them into the ground. And the whole idea is we will not be moved. They would always be on their feet wherever they go. They march forward together with that shield of faith. The shield was about 1.2 metres or 1,200 millimetres by about 600. And it covered from knee to neck. And the whole idea is that they interlocked. And you and I, we're to march together as the army of God, defeating the enemy as we go together. There's nothing more vulnerable than one soldier who's been left behind. We've got to make sure that we move together as this one large army. And of course, the first five there that you can see, they're all defensive weapons. Yeah? They're all to 
be defensive. But the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, is the only offensive weapon that we have been given by God. Romans, they wore this short sword. It was for close in combat, yes? And so they had to know how to use the sword, this very important offensive weapon, in order to defeat the enemy. In Hebrews chapter 4, it says this, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. So that's one powerful weapon that God has given at your disposal. But you've got to know how to use it. You know, I've never fired a gun you imagine if I went down, uh, Jeff, and uh, got a gun and filled it up with bullets and I said, listen, I've just bought it. Bang! I don't know what I'm doing. I could do some real damage, couldn't I? I could kill someone. I think I gave a few of you a heart attack. The same is true with the Word of God. We've got to receive training in order to effectively use the word of God, in order to protect ourselves against the enemy until Jesus Christ comes again. So we've been given this equipment by our commander-in-chief so that we can stand firm. And then the final thing, to stand firm in our faith, in this unstable world, this world that is literally crumbling from under our feet. We need to practice the truth. Verse 16 and 17. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope. Encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. So we can't stand firm in our own strength. You you don't have enough strength in the physical realm to defeat an enemy in the spiritual. We've got to rely on God's strength. You know, when we were young, we used to sing a little song, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong, they are weak, but he is strong. But you know, as you grow up, you start to, I don't need Jesus. I'm a big strong man or woman. I can take care of myself. I can do my own things. And it's not until you get a little bit older and a little bit more frail, you realise, where's that Jesus? We are never able to stand against the enemy in our own strength. I love that phrase, good hope. Good hope. Hope in the world, it's something that's not stable, is it? It's something that's Lightweight. It's a lightweight word in the world. Hope I pass my test. Something uncertain about that, isn't there? Footy season's back again, uh, Ray. I hope Port Power win the flag. Yeah, you see, hope. What good is that? But in the Bible, hope is this absolute certainty. You know our acrostic, having only positive expectations. It's not some light sort of driftwood that just floats by in life, but it's much stronger. It's much weightier than that. In fact, hope is an anchor that we remain firmly connected to. Hebrews 6 puts it like this. We who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to seize the hope set before us. 
We have this hope as an anchor for our lives, safe and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where Jesus, who went before us, has entered on our behalf. Of course, you all know the sanctuary and the curtain, yeah? There was a separation because of sin between God and people. And only once a year, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, could the high priest go behind the curtain and pay for the sins of the people. But when Jesus died, the curtain was open, yes? And we now have divine access. And that's why we're ushered into the presence of God. But what does this anchor of hope have to do with it? It's the anchor of hope who is Jesus that leads us safely into that harbour. In Bible times, an anchor, thanks Joe, was just a big stone hole in it with a rope. They didn't have all of the nautical sort of GPS sort of stuff back then. And so for a large ship, in order to make it safely into a small harbour, what they would actually do is they would, they would get the anchor, the stone, and they would put it into a little boat. It was called a forerunner. And they would hook this pulley system up to the large boat. And when the small boat got safely into the harbour, they would drop the anchor. And then they would use this pulley system to pull the large ship safely into the harbour. And likewise, Jesus is that anchor of hope. He draws us through the storms of life, through the treachery that comes our way so often. And he leads us safely into the presence of God. So we can stand firm, secure in the anchor of hope that is Jesus. Or to say it another way, on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. So we're anchored to him. So how do we stand firm in our faith? We recap, we preach the word of truth, we protect the truth, and we practice the truth. I wanted to uh, encourage your hearts in uh, word and deed this morning. I came across a, a true story back in uh, 1976, the uh, Special Olympics for Handicapped Children. These nine kids, they all uh, lined up at the starting line for the 100 metre dash. The gun went off and they all started running down uh, towards the finish line. And they were enjoying themselves. They were all sort of jockeying for position and sort of shuffling one another. And all of a sudden as they were running down, one of them stumbled and fell. The others ran a few metres further on and stopped. And all eight of them went back and helped the other one up. And then they joined arms together and with big smiles on their faces they all together ran across the finish line if that doesn't bless your heart nothing will folks we stand firm as we wait on Christ's coming we need to help each other we need to uh, encourage one another in deed and word we need to interlock our lives together so that we will be strong and stable in an unstable world. So as we wait on the coming of the Lord, we've got to hang on to those powerful truths. God loves you unconditionally. He has chosen you. You can use your free will today to choose Him. He's put on you that armour of protection from everything that the world would try to throw at you. And in the meantime, he is sanctifying you. 
He's got his hands on you. Like a potter in the clay, he's molding and shaping you into the plans and purposes that he has for your life until he comes again or you go to be with him and you will be glorified ultimately in that resurrection body. We've got to stand firm on the preaching, the practicing and the protection of God's word. All other ground is sinking sand. That's how we confidently stand firm in our faith. Worship team, as you come forward. Hey, next week, if you'd like to stand, we're going to finish off this little sub-series from Acts. Uh, we're going to uh, conclude with uh, Paul's plea for prayer. If you would like to read in preparation, uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3.